So I wanted to do something because I had a really, really great experience with this at one point. Um, and I learned this way of reading scripture that's called Lectio Divina. And some of you may have heard of this before, but what Lectio Divina is basically translated from the Latin is uh, divine reading or, or sacred reading of text. And what, what you do with Lectio Divina, essentially, and you can do it in all kinds of ways, but it's a slow listening to what the Spirit is saying to you in a text as you hear the words. And we're not going to do a full-on Lectio Divina, which could take the full amount of a sermon, but I wanted to, um, I wanted to read it slowly and for you to listen to it again. And as though you're hearing it for the first time, and listen for what phrase or what word speaks to you as you hear it. This is the 23rd song. So don't read with me. Try to just listen and, and, uh, and hear what the Spirit is saying to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now take a moment just to scan it again with your eyes. And now speak the word or the phrase that spoke to you, if you will. I shall not want. He restores my soul. Leads me in the paths of righteousness. He comforts me. In the shadow. My cup overflows. I shall not want. It's 
something I've said in previous years, and if you haven't heard it before, you might have been wondering why there's this weird-looking um, shepherd picture on the front of the bulletin. Uh, that kind of, it's kind of scratchy and and odd. Um, but this is one of the earliest pieces of Christian art, and it was found on the uh, on the wall of one of the earliest hiding places for the early Christian community. It was it was such an important thing for them to remember that Jesus rose from the dead, that the one who that the God came flesh, dwelt among them, and experienced all of the darkness and walked with them through all of the darkness and even went into the darkest place of the crucifixion and death itself and came up from the grave. In this Easter season, when we hear the, the, the Good Shepherd being talked about, when we read 23rd Psalm, one of the things that I think we really can take away, hold on to, is the truth that God, our Good Shepherd, has been and is with us in every dark place where we might find ourselves, go to. Even to death itself, which is why we read this psalm at so many funerals. Because this is a psalm that says, even in the face of death itself, we have a God who is comforting us. We have a God who, even for the one who's dying, the one who's dead, who holds them. What does it say? In Psalm in John 10, we read this morning, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. At the foundation of your life in the Spirit is a belonging that was quite before you ever knew it. You know, John's letter says that by this we know love. We know, we know God loved us. God's love precedes our love. God's love precedes the opening of our eyes on that first day of our birth. God's love. Luther, Luther would talk about faith. And he'd use the metaphor of a suckling babe. Faith is something that is as automatic and in some ways as passive as this longing to be fed at a mother's breast. That God is like that. God is the one who is supplying all our needs even when we had no idea that God was there. That was the case with me last year. I had no idea I had no idea that in the midst of my getting sick and the terror that that put into my soul, in the midst of all that, God was there too. That God was taking care of me. And one of the days that that became profoundly clear was the day in the hospital when I was given the explanation by the doctor as to why my chest looked so weird now. And 
Even today, when I look in the mirror after the shower, I've got this network of blue on my chest. And I said, what's going on here? And the doctor said, well, what happened was, you had this tumor, the softball, it was right here, and that softball was preventing the blood from returning from your brain to your heart. And that's why what brought you into the ER was bending over and turning purple when you tried to tie your shoe. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. I can laugh about it, too. <laughs> the funny thing was, side note, my father-in-law is a physician, and he saw me turn purple, and he knew that that could happen for someone, that, but he had no way of connecting that. Because that's why you should never be diagnosed by someone who's that close to you, because no one wants to see that connection with someone they love. So I would turn purple, I, the blood was completely blocked, and that vein, that hugely important vein, was completely blocked. And so I was listening to the doctor say, what happened, Joel, was your body, in the face of that blockage, acted a lot like a stream. That blockage dammed up the stream, but what your body did was made new streams around that. It created veins around that block to make sure that that blood could get to my heart so that I could still live. And at that point, I was just struck with awe at the ways that deep within me there is a creative energy at work that I had no awareness of and that saved my life. And I thought at that moment of the way that breaths and heartbeats work, so beyond our awareness, so beyond our planning, our anxious planning or maybe our non-anxious planning, but so beyond our thinking, there is this blood, there is this breath at work within our bodies that is keeping things and making ways where there is no way. At every, at every, at some point in everyone's life, that doesn't keep doing that, right? And we're all aware of that. And so there is two parts to that story, but in the middle of that, that is the story of life within us. That when we think, or don't think, that there is no way, no possibility, when it seems like there is a block, an end, there is possibility where we had not yet imagined it. There is a work within us. And I thought of this, and I continue to think of it, as a, as a picture for how the Spirit is. God is our shepherd walking with us in the dark valleys. And in, there are spiritual possibilities. Possibilities of being aware of love in a time when we feel the darkest and most rejected by ourselves or others. There is spiritual possibility when it feels like there's none. In the deepest grief, in the deepest fear, there is at work within your spirit a creative energy, the God who is love, who nurtured you into existence, at work within you and without you, 
through the coordination of the Spirit through other people. Able to walk with you through every dark valley. That doesn't make the dark valley less lonely. The experience of loneliness is real. But know this in your mind, at least in the thoughts that you can carry with you in your pocket and remind yourself of in the extreme feelings of loneliness. That God is the one who made you, who did nurture you into existence and who sustained you with that love. And God can make a way even when we feel there is no way. And I thought of this too as we think about today being <clears throat> being Mother's Day. You know, it's, it's one of those real tragedies, I think, of, the, of, the, of Christian history and just kind of an accident of history that we got really stuck in calling God Father and had no way until recently of talking about God as Mother. I mean, exceptions being people like Julian uh, who um, will be singing a hymn based on her visions. The Bible, in, in a few places, refers to God God as a mother, like a mother hen or like a mother towards her children. Now why is it that we're stuck on father? Gramp, who died this week, was one of the first people that kind of opened my mind to this. He, he would tell me that we say father, we say our father, but he remembers being in a Bible study group with some people and one of whom said, I just can't pray that. Because my relationship with my father was just so, so painful. And here is a whole tradition of praying that this person felt like he couldn't stomach because of the painful history. And it opened my eyes to the reality that God is not, is not only representable or, or symbolized or imaged by father. But God is somehow beyond that. And that God does relate to us in so many different ways, including as a mother. And we see that once we can take that in, there is a new way in which we can relate to God, not as some distant um, authority figure, the, the, the caricature of fatherhood. May I never be that way. Um, but as a gentle nurturing a gentle and nursing God to imagine that we are the, like infants at the breast of the divine and that will make us uncomfortable if we haven't thought about it that way but it's it's no less real of an image than God as father in fact both are real and God is more than those. There's a, a uh, song that some of you may have heard or maybe you thought about just now as I was talking. I remember being jarred by it because I, 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 was, I was steeped in the conservative language around God, right? So I, I've, God's always been father and male and that sort of thing for me. But there's a song that you look it up on YouTube by Bobby McFerrin and it's the 23rd Psalm and in this version of the 23rd Psalm that he sings 
there is a surprise a few words in. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or, I know, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. She makes me lie down. And it continues that way. And this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Because on Mother's Day of all days, we need to be reminded that God is our mother, even as God is our father. That God is the one closer to us than our own being, and who's nurtured us into existence, even as God has directed us in paths of righteousness. That God is shepherd, and she loves us very much. She loves us beyond what we can imagine that we've ever been able to feel. God is our shepherd. We have everything we need. And so it made me think of another time when I was overwhelmed by this sense. And you, you get this a lot when you're sick, so I have a lot of these moments that I could reflect on. But you know, one of the times I was overwhelmed by the reality that I'm cared for. I mean, Goodness gracious, you've got nurses all over the place, doctors, people thinking about you. You're on people's prayer lists here and there. And you're just like, once you think, sometimes when you think about it, you're like, ah, there's just a lot of love right now. It's overwhelming. I can't. And yeah, you, it turns into like murmurs and not even words. Um, but I, I remember the time that it really struck me and, uh, and I had a moment where I uh, was about two-thirds of the way through my treatment. Uh, my blood had gotten to the point that chemotherapy over time makes your blood deficient, and my hemoglobin had gotten so low that I needed a, a transfusion. Um, and I wrote about this in my journal, and I wrote, I feel more energy today because for the first time in my treatment and the first time in my life, I received a blood transfusion. And it was an emotional and spiritual experience to receive a donated pint of hemoglobin. I'm usually quite blood queasy. I am. Oh my goodness, I hate, I hate blood. Myself or other people, it just, whew. I'm usually quite blood queasy, but I watched that red bag with a deep sense of satisfaction. A deep spiritual satisfaction. And a big part of it was the deep gratitude and feeling of being loved, knowing that my mother, who shares my blood type, had just the day before donated a pint of her blood at a drive. And it brought tears to my eyes as I reflected on that. And it's hard to put into words because it just becomes tears, I wrote. Rochelle said it well. Mothers are the original blood donors. And it struck me at that moment that the last time I was an inpatient in a hospital was 32 years ago on a snowy Beloit day when she brought me into the world. And I was full of gratitude. And that's one of the reasons why it's so, for me, so important to remember God is like that. God is the one who brings us into being. 
God is the one who sustains us, who's just around the corner making a way when we didn't realize that there was be one. Knitting together new canals for, for blood to go around the blockage. God is that creative and ingenious energy within us and among us that can make it possible for us to make it through. And I remember reading or, well, first listening to and then reading the transcript of the pastor Nadia Boltz-Weber when she gave an interview on Krista Tippett's On Being podcast. And one of the things she talked about was how um, we, often, we often treat the, uh, we often treat the spirit, we often treat grace or, or faith as a kind of individual, individually heroic kind of activity. This is me and God, I've got to make it through by myself, for myself, and we, we, we are very allergic to seeming needy. And it's, it can be very awkward for us to ask people to pray for us or to put ourselves on prayer lists. Oh my goodness, it was awkward. And, and something that we really need to get over because we are, by our very uh, being, as children of God, we are part of a wide and ever-expansive family, community, that you belong before you ever believe, that Jesus has held you before you ever knew that Jesus loved you. And so I remember listening to Nadia Boltz-Weber say that she thinks that grace is given in sufficient quantities to communities. And that it's a real problem that we have this phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. Because that is something that can torment a person who is so overwhelmed by the responsibilities or feelings or anxiety that they have um, or the despair that they're carrying on their shoulders. And then you say to them, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. And you sort of, you know, say, all right, here you go. God will never give you more than you can handle. And I'm going to go and be okay now. <laughs> and uh, um, not helpful. Um, and it's okay that you've done this before. I've done it before, too. Because it's a natural, sometimes a natural response for us to deep suffering. We're like, I can't handle this right now. God will never give you more than you can handle. Um, and I don't really want to be there right now. But Jesus calls us to a different way. It's the foot washing way. It's the way of loving one another that is getting into one another's business um, and allowing one another, one another into our business. And this is the thing. She said, my husband's from Texas. And she said, in Texas, they have a useful other second person pronoun, y'all. Right? We only have you. We have you, singular, and you, plural. And you have to kind of guess from context if it's you, singular, or you, plural. And she said, I like it better this way. God will never give y'all more than you could handle. And that's the truth. That it's God has given us grace and love in sufficient quantities in communities. That that grace of God is a grace that sustains us like a mother sustains an infant. But it's not something that we just have by ourselves. It's something that requires the agency of a whole family to hold us. Nurses and doctors, church members, community members, mothers, sons, fathers, brothers, aunts, uncles, grandparents. These are how we have been and will be carried through. Especially when someone like our closest friend, maybe our wife or our, or our, um, our parent passes away. That leaves a big hole, but it's not a hole that you're left by yourself in. 
argued that you need to be. I remember reminding someone recently, this church loves you. And it made a huge difference. They remembered they weren't alone. And that this is a church full of people. And I'm, I'm so grateful for and impressed by the love of this church community. Um, you are an incredibly caring community. And I would not have gotten through this past year were it not for you and your generous love for me. And that's what I'm talking about. That when we say, God is my shepherd, we're talking about the Holy Spirit who is within each of us individually, but with, within us and among us and between us as this collective that is grace for one another, love for one another, ways for one another where there are no ways. And our culture is so individualizing. We have to remind ourselves again and again to resist the isolating activity. Resist the, I'm, I don't want to seem needy. <laughs> resist the, I don't want to tell you that I'm having a hard time. I'm going to put on a, rough, I'm going to put on a smile anyways. Find someone you trust and be honest and true and open because it's the connection where God is and where God can be a shepherd when we can truly show that we are in need. We lost another person this week, a man named Jean Vanier. And Jean Vanier was a man who uh, was actually uh, in the military, in the Navy in Britain, and then was uh, studied philosophy. And uh, once he got his PhD in philosophy, the next thing he did was uh, founded an intentional community to live with two men. At the beginning of it was just two men uh, who were living uh, at the time in an asylum uh, for their uh, mental health. And Jean Vanier established what's called large communities throughout the world uh, that started right there in France. And large communities are communities where people who, um, those who are um, neurotypical live with those who are neuroatypical. Those who are developmentally more able live with those who are developmentally less abled. And they live in community and love. And he talks about this story of Jean-Claude. And Jean-Claude was a, a young man with Down syndrome. And there was a man, a very serious man, a very concerned man that came and visited him at one of the large communities. And they were sitting in Jean, Jean Vanier's office. And the man was just very you know, concerned about and very grateful that he's doing this good and serious work. And as they're talking, Jean-Claude comes in the room. And Jean-Claude just goes up to the man, touches him, and laughs. And Jean-Claude goes up to Jean Vanier and he touches him and laughs. And then he just laughs outside, out, out of the room. And the man looked at Jean Vanier and he said, Isn't it so sad, the way that they are? And Jean Vanier said, No. Because this is an unadulterated joy in this young man. He's not weighted down with the concerns <laughs> The possibilities in large communities came from the ability to see that we are all those who need one another. And that belonging must precede believing and must precede any kind of mental awareness. Because love is the first thing that has brought us all into being. And love will be the last thing that will bring us back home. And it's that love that is only possible when we open ourselves to it. Which is why Jesus can rebuke the Pharisees and say, you clearly haven't heard my voice and you're not my sheep. Not because he's trying to like say, get out of here, I don't like you. But he's saying, you clearly have not allowed yourselves to be in this position 
of receiving love. And until you do, you can't truly understand belonging. You can't truly awaken to the reality of grace that sustains us, like a mother sustaining a child. And I think I had one other thing to say, but I can't remember. Amen. <laughs>